This is CliffCentral.com. This is Disrupt with Booming Club, powered by Two Systems. Good day and welcome to Disrupt with Mim Bumin Tlapo. Thank you for joining us again on the show. We are, as usual, very excited to welcome new guests with us. Um, before I introduce our guests, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, speaking at the South African Union Summit in Kigali, said that he fully supported calls for a single African currency and he also indicated that such a currency maybe would have to be digital. This, the world is caught up in the craze of cryptocurrencies. Everybody's talking about bitcoins and how they can make their next quick buck, it seems. Um, and everybody is also advocating for digital currencies, which would then almost supersede um, cryptocurrencies. And we're going to have a discussion on that. We've seen dips, slumps, ups and downs with the most popular cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and which has almost put a damper on what we saw as the rise of the cryptocurrencies. So the question we're asking today is, um, you know, with this adoption of cryptocurrency, with the growth of, di- growth of digital money, um, what does the future hold? What does all this mean and how do we make sense of it? Uh, we talk about what is regulated and unregulated, what is covered by legislation. So my guests here today are here to help us understand really beyond the hype, beyond the constant barrage of online marketing telling us to how we can make the next quick buck with cryptocurrency so that we can really understand it and make sense of how we can help us build digital economies into the future. With me today from Hogan Lovell's um, attorneys, I've got Christine Rodriguez. She's a partner at Hogan Lovell's and candidate attorney from Hogan Lovell's as well, um, Craig DeBrain. Welcome to you both. Thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm Pumi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. How are you guys doing? Um, we're doing good. Happy doing, to be here. Yeah, we're really happy to be here. It's always good to have lawyers and attorneys in a discussion, and I'm not worried about defending myself <laughs> or something. So, thank you for joining us. The topic today is one that's you know very trending, I guess. One one would say there's a lot of discussions, a lot of misunderstanding. Um, I, I would assume as well about really what is this domain that we're talking about. So, just to get us started, I know we spoke earlier about you know the destination between a cryptocurrency and digital money. So can maybe just start with a couple of definitions so that we're all on the same page. Okay, well, um, cryptocurrency is different to digital money. Although they're both forms of elect- electronic forms of money, okay. cryptocurrency is different because it's unregulated. Effectively, transactions are recorded in a blockchain in a public domain. While digital money is a legal form of tender, which is regulated by the South, which would be regulated by the central bank. In this instance, in South Africa, it would be the South African Reserve Bank. And effectively, it's instead of having the physical form of the currency, you would have the electronic form of the of the currency. Okay. So that's the difference. Okay. So if I'm understanding you correctly, then. Um, would I be correct to say that our money is already digital currency or that we still need to get there and that what's leading the way so far has been the cryptocurrencies? Where are we? So a lot of the times when you transact on the internet, that's a form of digital money. Yes. What's important to understand is currently how we transact. And that's what creates the potential disruptor for the banking institutions. Okay. So all the financial transactions, um, and we're talking about regulator transactions, nothing that falls outside the cryptocurrency that Craig can briefly discuss with you, is that it goes through the national payment system, which is regulated under the National Payment Systems Act. And the regulator of that system is 
the South African Reserve Banks. Okay. There's quite a few role players in that system, but effectively who controls the system is the banks. So you have a clearing bank and a settlement cl- bank. The clearing bank would issue the instructions to say Mpumi, who you try, you, uh, APSA policy, uh, APSA um, client as an example. Okay. You owe Christine, um, 500 Rand and I happen to bank with First National Bank and APSA would issue the instruction saying to First National Bank, we are going to not send money from Mpumi's bank account into Christine's bank account. And each bank would keep their own ledger of this electronic flow of money. But now the national payment system only works if all the parties in that system actually have a bank account. I see. So that's kind of like where the monopoly is. Absolutely, because you need to be party to one of those. You need to be part of the bank. We need to even have a credit card, which is obviously then linked to the bank to perform a financial transaction. Now, what happens if you are not a banked person and a lot of the South African population remains unbanked? Or what if you're one of those people that decides, well, I just don't want to take a risk in a banking institution. Um, I'd rather keep my money under the mattress, but how do I protect myself? Because obviously I'm at high risk of my house getting broken into or I'm, or me getting mugged. Yes. And that's where digital money has a role to play because in effect, what you can do is you can interpose a fintech company where the central bank would use the fintech company to offer people currency directly. So in effect, what you do is you're taking away a banking institution that's acting as an intermediary. Quite similar to if you look at from an insurance perspective, you have a broker yes, and offering insurance um, directly or via an app also creates that disruptor because you take out the middleman. Okay. So I just want to get it then clear. Uh, Currently, um, the reason the banking system works is because we trust the banks. To be able to keep record of our money and then to be able to then between themselves um, orchestrate transactions so that I can trust that they're keeping record of my money. So, Craig, to bring you in then, um, the opportunity or the the disruption then that comes with the cryptocurrencies is that they work outside of that system. Can we talk to how they work outside of that system and why have we seen so many people then gravitating towards it? So, basically, uh, as Christine mentioned, that the cryptocurrency is a a form of trade that is between the users themselves peer to peer and um it is falls outside the regulated regime of the central bank um the central bank does not issue or doesn't have control to issue or, or circulate uh cryptocurrency um that's why it, it doesn't intervene in that scope and okay. the value alone of cryptocurrency is in demand and supply between the users thereof yes Okay, so then let, let's get into it. Um, Christine, we were talking earlier about how um, we're going to see the rise of digital currencies and how that can create new opportunities, particularly for the unbanked population. Can you unpack that for us? Well, national, one of National Treasury's objectives is obviously to um, create economic transformation in South Africa at all levels. Now, for example, on the insurance side, You only have insurance cover if you pay your premium. Now, what happens to somebody that's 
in the rural area that would like to take out a funeral policy or would like to ensure their, their, their herd of cows or bulls, how do they get access to financial freedom and some economic and to participate economically? Yes. They don't, they can't because they just either don't have sufficient resources to open a bank account or for whatever reason, maybe with the banking institutions in terms of their credit, credit risk rating wouldn't give somebody a bank account. So what would happen here is that the central bank, the South African Reserve Bank, would offer currency directly to those people, but at no, in both ends, you wouldn't take the risk of, of the bank loaning your money okay. and you're earning interest. Yes. And in effect, you wouldn't earn any interest either. Okay. On, so, on so your it's money. Literally just a, a, so a it's transactions just, gateway. It's, it's just a transactions gateway. You have five rand and you want to go to the corner store and you want to buy a, a you know, a loaf of bread or whatever you would use that to transact. You wouldn't necessarily gain value in your money. So when you and I transact with the bank, we either put our money in a bank account and we earn interest or we loan money from the bank in order to purchase a property. And obviously we pay that off, but we're creating wealth. Yes. But it allows now people to start transacting and, and slowly build up their wealth. Okay. So for example, if I now can take out a funeral policy, um, in a rural area, um, I have, I at least know that when I pass on, there isn't a financial burden left on my family. Absolutely. And it allows them to recover economically much quicker than if they take all the risk themselves. So banks will never be done away with, just as insurance companies will never go away. And why is that? Because. Why why would we say that? Because they still, there's still people in this world that want to pass on the risk. Okay. I still want to pass on the risk to the insurance company. When I pay my premium and, and I take out an insurance policy, I, I'm doing that with the knowledge that I'm passing on the risk that if my house burns down, the likelihood is I've only paid a hundred thousand rands of premium as an example. Yes. But the, but the insurance company is going to pay me out the value of my home, okay. which could be 10 times or 15 times more the value. Yes. And the same thing with the bank. Where I can decide, well, I want to take the risk of maybe there being a bank that goes under, but at the same time, when I invest in the bank, um, through unit trusts or through investment, um, or through, um, having my money, it also grows in wealth. Okay. So all that digital money does in, in this form is that it allows people to economically transact, um, and to just get their foot in the door. Into getting some form of financial freedom okay. and not constantly, you know, being left behind and not being able to, to contribute to the economy and allow the, the economy to also benefit them. Okay. I want to just maybe answer some questions that are, that are in my mind at this point. My understanding of the fundamentals of what the cryptocurrency world is doing is that it, it, it kind of circumvents the banking system. So that what we spoke about, so that from peer to peer perspective, we can transact and, and, and work within that. Um, and so I'm trying to say as much as, I mean, most of our transactions today are digital. So we could say our money is digital. You know, we very rarely deal with cash. I'm trying to understand what the difference becomes. So if the banks still remain relevant and yet there's an opportunity for me to circumvent them, what would keep them in the system? Except maybe for like 
different types of investments. Do you understand my question? But there's okay. Well, yes and no. Okay. There's comfort when you transact via the internet or you use your credit card. Okay. Um, it is still documented. In the same time, when somebody does phishing or performs a fraudulent transaction, which you can show that you were not party to that. Yes. You go to the bank and you knock on the door and you say to the bank, somebody in China hacked into my bank account and siphoned the money out. Mm -hmm. And what happens? The bank takes that risk and credits your account with the same amount. With cryptocurrency, who do you turn to? Because if something goes wrong or there's some fraudulent transaction, who do you go to? There isn't a big brother. So you most probably could get higher rewards with the cryptocurrency, but higher rewards, higher risk. Yes. And, and, and the bank in the banking, in the traditional banking space, the, the reward might be lower, but it's far more secure. I see. And, and, and far more stable because you do have a big brother either look, looking after you or ultimately you have the reserve bank that's insuring with national treasury the stability in the economy. Okay. Now let's assume 10 years from now, uh, five years from now, the cryptocurrency world has evolved. There's better regulation around it. There's better protections for consumers. Um, the Reserve Bank has accepted it as a legal form of tender, uh, but it's still peer-to-peer. Does that still hold the, the big brother sort of what the value that the bank adds from that perspective? Well, whenever there's some form of regulation, that means there has to be some form of accountability. Okay. At the end of the day, um, the banking um, sector has to evolve pretty much as to what's happening with the insurance sector, which is based around treating customers fairly. Um, And treating customers fairly is not about that the customer is always right. Yes. But it's about that you treat people you create whatever expectation you create, you're able to deliver on. And obviously, it's the scrutinization of fees and what you and the, and what ser- and what you're paying for the services. So, in general, and this is with any business, be it insurance, being banking, be it the corner store, it's about the value that you add to your clients. Okay. And what what you're paying for the service that they're providing, it's no different from lawyers. Um. Clients keep on coming back to us because of the service that we provide, that we give them value for money, that we we think out the box, that we're able to come up with commercial um, solutions for them within the confines of the law. Yes. And and that's what's going to keep any business in place is being thought leaders is about creating different services and products and obviously keeping – those services and products as low as possible. And competitive as well. And competitive. So I guess maybe then probably the answer lies somewhere around the banks are probably going to evolve. Mm-hmm. And what what is their bread and butter today is unlikely to be mm-hmm. um, the same in years to come. But they'll most likely still have a role to play in the banking system Correct. overall. Okay. I want to then shift to the insurance industry because I know you've spent a lot of time, Christine, working in that space. And I know there's a lot of developments in that space. Um with, with regards to digital money and how it adds value there. What are the key challenges that that industry faces today um, with, with, um, based on the infrastructure of the payments regime that is existing today? So the fundamental principle is insurance is besides insurable interest, in other words, in order for you to insure something, you have to have an interest in it, is that you have cover if your premium is paid. 
Now, insurance companies operate in some form in the national payment system because when they debit your bank account and collect your premium, that's the point. They're debiting it from your bank account. Okay. And one of the challenges has been, well, how do you get into the untapped insurable market? And it's not necessarily that you, you, you're chasing, um, high indemnity policies. Everybody has a form of property that needs to be insured. Yes. But how do you get to that, to that demographic? Because again, they don't have a bank account. And from that perspective, you know, in terms of the, the laws that are coming into change, um, for example, microinsurance, um, insurers are going to be able to offer, um, Certain products that are lower premium, but obviously the indemnity limits are capped. Okay. But how are you going to offer it if you don't, you can't collect the premium? Um, and there's ways that obviously the regulator is looking at it to say, well, don't prejudice people if they don't pay their premium on a monthly, on a monthly basis. But at the end of the day, you have to collect premium mm. for the insurance co- company to also cover its risk. Okay. Otherwise, it, it goes into an insolvent position. And this is where it's fantastic if the insurance companies can access through, through fintech and the national payment system is, a, is changed to allow people to transact just for that economic um, and financial transaction. Okay. Where now you, you, uh, you're giving people the opportunity to formally get into the, into the, um, economic, um, regime. And that fits in nicely with what national, national treasury's objectives are, which it wants the insurance um, industry to become a lot more transform, um, trans, um, transformative, but also to allow a lot more people to become economically independent. Okay, I see. So where you have what the banking institutions might see it as a potential negative disruptor, on the flip side, you have other financial institutions such as Insurance companies where this is a wonderful positive disruptor because it opens them up to a bigger client base. Yes. Um, Craig, I want to bring you in here. Um, there's a lot of existing alternatives, um, in the market. So we know there's, there's mobile money, M-Pesa. Um, I know I read somewhere that MTN speaks about wanting to be the largest bank in Africa. And they're coming at it from quite a different perspective. Um, how does that, and, and Christine, you're also welcome to, to contribute here, but I'm trying to understand how does that then lean into this conversation we're having around digital money and cryptocurrencies because then there's also the aspect of mobile money and, and what they're doing in that world. How do the two coalesce? So currently, like you mentioned, that um, commercial banks will be at a position where they have to evolve themselves and also include this circulation of digital currency. And the South African Reserve Bank has... Um, looked into it. Um, it firstly launched the project COCA to, in order to understand how distributed ledger technology will work. Okay. Um, in your point of other kind of e-money, it also drafted two position papers to understand how it works, um, how it will regulate it in any way. And it, 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 it found it on a basis that other central banks around the world are continuously to Evolve and also uh, include e-money into their systems, okay. and uh, this would include like internet banking, mobile payments, um, mobile banking as well. So, the the Reserve Bank is is in a position where it will definitely adopt um, e-money and 
digital money in 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 its in our regulatory regime. Um, there's nothing definitive about it right now, but it, it's definitely in the right space. Okay. And is M-Pesa uh, and that is that legal tender? Are, the, are those protected by the legislation? Yes. How, how does that operate differently to? Uh, a cryptocurrency, for example, whichever one it may be. That fits within the banking regime and within the national payment system. Okay, and the reason for that is it because of the mechanisms that they use, or what what makes it fit in? Correct. I mean, in in order to be to effect um, payments within the national payment system, you have to be a regulated bank. Okay. Or you have to be an authorized participant. Okay. So. That's where the regulation comes in. It's very strict as to who can participate. So banks have to keep huge amounts of money for solvency purposes. And that's where the regulation, the regulation comes in. Um, okay. Thank you. And, and I, and I just want to make sure we've answered the question fully. So do you see that the mobile money space will grow relative to the cryptocurrencies? Are they moving in opposite direction or are they moving closer to each other? What's happening there? So if I look at like an Impesa, I mean, there's huge investment going into there. We know it's it's you know it's one of the, I mean, they do billions of dollars of transactions on an annual basis across the continent. So there's certainly a lot of momentum around it. Relative to the cryptocurrency space, is that growing, or, or what? What are you guys observing around that? I think there will be a collision when both forms are regulated almost on an equal basis. Okay. Okay. So. At, at the moment, you know, it's it's difficult because you have the one that's regulated and the one that doesn't. Mm. And the one that's unregulated has the potential for um, higher risk in terms of, yes, you, your reward is higher, but also when it when something goes wrong, yes. um, the risk is higher for you as well. So, you know, I think everyone at the end of the day, human nature is you want to make Money as quickly as possible and a quick buck. Yes. So cryptocurrency, you know, if you want to make higher returns quickly, that you you would you would use cryptocurrency or you would invest cryptocurrency, while digital money because it's it's far more regu- regulated, or e money is far more regulated. Your rewards are going to be lower. Absolutely. And it just depends, obviously, on what your risk appetite on what your risk appetite is. Mm. Okay. And then we know that, um, and you mentioned it earlier, that all these cryptocurrencies are built on a digital ledger system, right? Some sort of a blockchain infrastructure. Do you envisage that um, when governments implement their own digital currencies in, in in the way that we understand them from a cryptocurrency perspective, that they'll still use the same base infrastructure, the same type of technology? Is that the way forward? So it's blockchain and that type of technology. Is that the so way there are um, there are different technologies that are involved. Um, if I can use Uruguay as an example, since they've been the first to adopt uh, digital currency into their um, payment systems. Okay. So firstly, what the user would do is um, the, the the government has issued Antal mobile phones, and the user would then download the app and register and make its first charge into what is known as Red Pegas. So we uh, presume that Red Pegas is a fintech company where you'll hand in your physical. Bills and they will credit your um, your digital wallet. Okay. So the other systems or other technologies involved would be um, a system operator, IBM, in switch for other functionary um, support controls. So it's not directly linked to how the blockchain uh, is operated, since that is a, a public ledger, and we we also think that digital currency would be under the regulation of the central bank. So the central bank would be able to. Um, 
tr- see and, and track those transactions as opposed to it being uh, public in the public domain. Okay. So I think those, in terms of those, the way that the blockchain would work and the way um, the, the technologies under the control of the Reserve Bank would work does differ to an extent. Oh, it does. That's very interesting because I know there's a huge number of conferences, discussions, workshops around blockchain and the potential for it. And what I'm hearing from you guys is that the legislation is likely not to go the blockchain route. Am I understanding it correctly or am I misunderstanding you? So as I mentioned earlier, the the Reserve Bank has um, launched a project um, just to look into how the the ledger uh, technology works. Okay. Um, it it doesn't say that right now we're going to adopt it. We're going to make use of it, and this will be legal tender. Yes. It just says that we're going to take it under. We're taking cognizance of it. Uh, look how it works, and maybe in the future we'll we'll rope it in, in into our payment systems. Okay. And Christine, on your side, what you've seen from a legislation point of view, do you feel that we're likely to move more towards blockchain technology as a Payment system infrastructure, or do you think that we're going to look at alternatives? I just want to get your views. I mean, you've got quite a lot of experience in the industry as well. So, um, I can't see that far into the future about blockchain, but um, my view is that we are definitely changing. Okay. We, you know, South Africa is is quite a sophisticated market from a financial um, institution's perspective. Um, I think we always undermine that we a third world country, but we're not. Okay. Um, in certain instances, we're far more advanced than other countries of the world. And at the end of the day, I think the Saab's thinking and national treasury's thinking is to change the regime that it's not institutional based, but it's functional based. So I think at the end of the day, the regulatory changes are going to be made to make our, the way we transact, be it from an insurance or banking institution, functional based. So, so and, and functional based, what would that? So, in other like? words, just because you're a bank, it doesn't mean you're going to control the national payment system. What does the economy need for stability? What does the economy need to grow? And functional based could be, well, we need a fintech company that w- uh, that would allow the bank to transact directly with certain consumers. Okay. And, and that's what I'm talking about functional based as opposed to just having institutions that, that conduct business because they are an institution. Mm. It, it occurs to me that um, as soon as we start talking disruption, whether it's fintech, whether it's a new platform or a new app, regulation quickly follows <laughs> suit. Um, and, and, I, and I guess it's the disruptive energy that's trying to challenge the status quo. Uh, are we going to see more and more of that, or do you feel regulators, legislators have caught on to the fact that they need to become more proactive within the various industries as these things play out? What's your observations around that? Yeah, so I mean, I could talk about the ins- from the insurance perspective with with Treasury. Um, years ago, everything was more just prudential regulation. So as long as an insurance company had enough money to pay claims and remain solvent. That was fine. Okay. And then when the financial crisis hit and you looked at potentially all these banks going under, you know, there was scrutiny as to, well, the figures don't necessarily tell the whole story. How you conduct business and the way that you conduct business, how does that affect 
the economy and how does that affect the people that are using your services? And I think the regulators have recognized that you need to balance the two. You do have to have prudential and solvent regulation, but you also need to steer um, um, institutions into behaving in an ethical way. So it's about making um, ethical and moral profits. It's not about abusing people okay. um, to just line your pockets. Mm. And I think, you know, there will be constant regulation because fun, uh, because the especially on the financial industry perspective is it's critical to the economy and if you once that collapses then it's devastation across the board for everyone whether you banked or unbanked whether you insured or you uninsured okay and that's the intention the intention is to create not only um local stability but to create global um, stability because we all form part of this e- global economy. Yes. So if a huge, from a, from an insurance perspective, there's systemically what they call systemically important financial institutions, um, which has been recognized globally that if they go under, it affects not just one country, it affects the world in its entirety. And that's what the regulator is moving towards. You know, make us uniformed. Um, to create that financial stability so that everybody on this earth has, has some form of financial inclusion and stability and has trust in the system. Okay. And Craig, we know we've seen the taxi drivers across the world, a lot of them fighting these new, um, rideshare apps. Um, have we seen anything similar in the financial services space? Any, um, you know, resistance to the change or, or uprisings? Um, are you aware of any developments in that regard? Um, playing themselves out Well I mean definitely on the insurance perspective um, There's always been a threat With insurers Offering insurance direct Yes. Um, brokers and intermediaries feel like As if they're being cut out mm. um, And from an insurance perspective The regulators constantly Questioning fees Of third parties and what they're earning And obviously at the end of the day If you're not performing um, le- services, legitimate services, and you're not adding value, you're always going to feel threatened. Um, so the point being is if you, if you're adding value, you're providing services, there's nothing wrong with earning fees. Yes. It's unfortunately you're going to feel under threat where you, where you're not adding anything back to the consumer. Absolutely. Let me then bring it back to the legal fraternity because I know when they talk about blockchain and ledger technologies, they, there's often allude to the potential impact within your industry. Have you seen any developments there? Are, are you tracking any trends in that regard? Well, I mean, in general, you can just now go into Google and say template of a, share, a sale of shares agreement and something will pop up and everyone will use that and, um, and, and say, why should I go to an attorney? Mm. Again, it's about service. It's about, you know, I think the jobs of the future are creative and and although you might have artificial insemin uh, excuse me artificial <laughs> intelligence yeah. um it's about the creativity and thinking because computers only think with the algorithms that you insert into them yes the human mind is different it thinks differently it thinks out the box it thinks creatively yes so with any job even with a lawyer it's about how do you look at legislation or how do you look at the transaction from a strategic, 
from a, a um, from a, a creative perspective, and how do you how do you you know carry through that transaction within the confines of law, and we will be threatened, yes, um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of products that you can you can commoditize, yes, but the need for creative thinkers and for people who think differently and do things differently will always exist in, in I think in any in any profession in any industry and Craig your views I mean you quite new coming into the industry where do you see potential for disruption or where are you seeing that the industry will need to evolve quickly so from a lawyer's perspective uh, my associate is actually writing an article about how blockchain might disrupt um, the banking industry in terms of the trade we conduct um, um, as Christine mentioned templates available and there's been a lot of trade also being conducted cross-border through through blockchain uh, and they say it takes about quarters of the time so i think those are new developments in the kind of space that i'm in right now at this instant yeah. um and i i would concur with 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 christine on the lawyer's perspective in terms of bringing um the human application to to your to your deals to your matters to your problems so yeah we always be challenged um and nothing's going to stop genealogy from evolving in any kind of space or any kind of industry. Yeah. So, Christine, I want to then go back to the discussion on, on the cryptocurrency specifically. Um, and, and to a certain extent, now I'm asking for your views and opinions. It might not be stuff that we can clearly you know, discern from a legal perspective. Um, the way that it's modeled and the way that it's structured vis-a-vis our existing you know, um, payment systems is there an opportunity to bring it in line with what we understand to be the regulated world, or do you feel that fundamentally the way that it's built up, that that's not possible? I think it is possible. Um, and I just want to qualify my question. The reason I'm asking is because we know that it's a distributed ledger, it's a public ledger, there is no single source of accountability, as you mentioned earlier. Well, if you think, if you look at it globally, um, a lot of, um, government institutions are raising caution. So they're telling, they're telling the public it's not regulated. So this is the risks that you take. Okay. And I think it's about creating that awareness and that education. There's always going to be another type of technology or cryptocurrency that's going to disrupt. There's always going to be a wave where people are going to ride because of the human nature of, um, high return. But it's about being educated and it's about understanding the risks that you take. And at the end of the day, governments cannot regulate everything. It's, it's impossible. Um, and government is not as quick as the innovators, as yes. those creative thinkers that are coming up with new technologies and new ways. But it's about before you enter into a transaction, become Educated, understand what you are doing and understand what the consequences are and then make that decision. But don't go into it willy nilly, lose a ton of money. It's the same thing as purchasing shares or, or investing so it's in like any other, like any other investment any, exactly. that one might consider and then cry wolf and say, this is terrible. I've now lost everything. Yes. And we've seen with, with the scandals and with corporate governance is that nothing is, 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 is foolproof. Mm. But it's about being educated and it's about understanding what you are purchasing. And have you seen any cases brought forward to the government by people that have been duped or, but that have, or not duped, but that have felt aggrieved with 
what's happened in the cryptocurrency world? Have we seen any legislation, uh, any cases I, brought mm, forward? Nothing yet. I haven't seen anything like that. I don't know if Craig's seen no. anything. I've just seen a lot of, um, for example, especially in the EU, like the Italian government has, you know, issued notices and warnings and they're looking at ways to regulate. So that seems to be kind of the, I mean, at the end of the day, if it's not regulated, what can you do? Yes. There's nothing you can do about it. You just got to take it on the chin and say, well, you lost your money. You lost your money. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, next time, just think before you, you do something. Okay. And Hogan, Lo- Hogan Lovells, I mean, you guys are a commercial law firm focusing on corporates and corporate banking. Uh, you've naturally doing a lot of research and trying to understand this landscape. What are you advising your clients? I'm sure you're getting a lot of questions in this space. What is the, you know, what are the three things that you're telling your clients to do and to look out for as they go about doing their business? Well, again, it's just identify what your risks are, understand what the issues are, so that, and understand what your recourse is. So, you know, we can tell you what the risks are, we can tell you what the rewards are, but at the end of the day, you need to make that educated decision and you need to know what the consequences are of your decision. Mm. Um. Yeah, and Craig, what do you think? Yeah. I, I'm thinking of you know retailers, for example. I know Pick and Pay said they were going to trial Bitcoin at at their store, you know, at their innovation store in the Cape, and there are a few other retailers that are looking at bringing cryptocurrencies into the ecosystem. Does that still present the same level of risk, or does it become different in in, the, in those instances? Well, they must understand that with Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency, the value is determined by the peers. And the amount and the demand. Okay. So, you know, it's not linked. You know, our, our rand is linked to what the value is from an economic perspective. Yes. So you take that risk. So today you could do a transaction with Bitcoin for the value of 50 rand, but tomorrow that 50 rand is worth 10 rand. Okay. So in a way you need to understand what the fluctuations is in the value. And I suppose in a regulated environment, the fluctuation is you've got the economists that look at it and look at all the factors. More predictability exactly. around Exactly. So yes. the cryptocurrency is, for me, a bit esoteric. Like, what are the factors that go in besides the demand yes. and the, and, and the, and the amount? Um, who determines that the value today is 50 Rand versus 100 Rand? Because okay. you, you're determining on your peers. To make up that determination. So accept the Bitcoin, accept the cryptocurrency, but just understand that there are risks. So you think it's more of a marketing approach at the moment than it is a fundamental integration into the system. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, to add on to what Christine said, um, because of that regulatory nature, no credit is under any obligation to accept it as a settlement of debt. Um, so if you want to procure Bitcoins and, and and make purchases or you want to settle your debt in, in that regard, you'll have to take the risk that it's going to be accepted um, through the prerogative of the the creditor or his, uh, or the his choice. Yeah. yeah. So there's no obligation for him to accept it and, and that does pose a risk for you because what do you do with all this? Um, so you could have a million rands worth of Bitcoin and you come to me and you tell me you want to buy my car and I'll say, that's very nice, but I want hard, cold cash. Yes. I want South African rands, please. Yes, yes. Okay. Deposited into my bank account. So, so the, re- the reality for them right now is that there is no protection, whether it's from an economic performance perspective to see if the economy is performing and, well. And it's not a recognized legal tender everywhere. So you can't just walk in with your Bitcoins and say, 
I want to use my bitcoins here because you'll have some people say, well, go to the shop next door. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We don't accept that form of tender. And I find it then interesting. I mean, lawyers typically, you know, your work is to deal with risk and to manage risk. But it seems you're also evolving your business model fundamentally. I mean, you're engaging on this topic and you're looking at where the opportunities lie. What's driving that in your world? Is it really a push from your customers? Are you seeing something in the ecosystem that's suggesting you need to engage more? It's about engaging. From a personal perspective, if I want to remain in practice and remain relevant to my clients, I have to evolve as well. I have to be a thought led leader. I have to look at things um, differently. I have to come up with ideas um, and I have to come up with solutions. Yeah. So you have to evolve. If, if you're going to practice law like you did 30 years ago, then I don't think you'll be around in the next five to 10 years. Um, the profession itself is, is changing. Um, you know, I always say, you know, when I, when I was younger and I wanted to be a lawyer, you have this thing of being in this grand building and people just come to you. Yes. And it's, and it's not about that anymore. It's about you've got to engage with your customers. You've got to engage with your clients. You have to be in their face. You have to show them that you can add value. You got to show them that you're different. So in order for me, selfishly, to be in practice for the next 10, 15, 20 years. I have to evolve. I have to think of things differently. I have to start looking at other areas where the laws are going to change or the laws are, there's going to be new laws. Um, most probably in 30 years time, I might not be an insurance regulatory lawyer anymore. I could be some other law that doesn't exist or some other industry that doesn't exist. So it's about evolving. With the industry. And Craig, you, I mean, you've been studying in recent time, you know, qualifying to be a lawyer. Has the curriculum, is it engaging these new topics or is it still pretty much what it's been all along? What was what the experience um, you've had? Unfortunately, yeah, that's the case. And um, I find myself where I'd have to sort of learn on the job and uh, do the additional and it's not a it's not a case of just applying what you've learned um, in varsity anymore. It's about coming into a new world, a new um, era, and 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 being willing to learn about all these developments and being able to apply it as you as you go on the job. But it's not definitely about just having that in your in your backpack and and opening the book and just setting it up yeah. and applying it. Okay, awesome. So, guys, you know, before we wrap up the show, I'm going to ask you really two questions that will help us to get a sense for how you're engaging. Um, you know, the world today. As you know, on the show, we really focus on the topic of disruption. We try to define it in whatever way, shape, or form it, it takes place, and we really try to create context for how it's shaping the world into the future. Um, and I'm going to start with you, Craig. Um, very quickly, for yourself, um, in the work you do, um, how would you define disruption? Sure. Disruption, I think it's um, going against the norm. Going against what uh, we've always been doing, the traditions, um, finding creative means to 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 for convenience, for efficiency, and I think we live in such a fast-paced world that people want um, efficiency, they want comfort, um, they want security, and disruption would sort of encapsulate all of that. Uh, if it's if it works for me, and uh, it's quicker, then that is what I would engage into. Thank you. And Christine, you've been in the industry for quite some time, so you've got a broader perspective. With with that experience, with that perspective and observing how things are evolving now, your definition for disruption? Is embrace the disruption, embrace the change, and evolve with it. Um, it 
things are going to change. Things are never going to stay static. And the more you challenge it in a negative way and you refuse to change along with the environment around you that's changing, then I think you will just become obsolete. So look at ways of how a disruptor can become positive for you and how that disruptor can influence you in a positive way. Before I ask you the final question, I want to just get into that a little bit because typically you might be called in as lawyers to defend an incumbent's position, right, where there's a disruptive force or energy coming into the system that you might know is likely to become mainstay. Within the definition of disruption, how are you helping your customers then from, you know what I mean, to to understand that okay, well, we can defend your position, but it's not going to be sustainable. This is something for the future. How are you engaging that currently? Well, again, it's to highlight the risks for them mm-hmm. and to say to them, we can try to do this. It's going to be a disruptor. Um, it's unregulated or it's in the gray space. Yes. And then you get clients who say, let's just go for it. Let's take that risk. Let us be the disruptor. You know, we're willing to, you know, to take the knock. We're willing to get that fine. Yes. We're willing to push the boundaries. So again, it's all about edu- making educated choices and, and, you know, and just not looking at things in a black and white perspective, understanding that there's a gray mm. and understanding if you're going to operate in the gray, there's going to be some risk, but deciding where you want to play. And deciding, you know, do you want to just be behind the pack or do you want to be at the front of the pack? And then your vision for our country and our continent um, within that? I'm extremely positive um, about South Africa, about Africa. Um, if you look at these things with Brexit, I think there's wonderful opportunities. We've got a lot of skilled people. We've got a lot of young people coming in um, with great ideas. And I think people must, you know, get off the negativity train and just kind of work together. And everyone should attempt to be a positive disruptor in whatever they do, um, be it in their job, be it in their family life, and just be positive and move on. <laughs> awesome. Positivity. So really looking to be a positive disruptor like that within all aspects of your life, wherever you have the opportunity to do that. Thank you very much, Craig DeBrain and Christine Rodriguez from Thanks, Hogan Lovell's Attorneys for joining us today talking about you know digital money and disruption that's coming into the insurance and financial services space. Um, we've really enjoyed having you on the show. We hope you can join us again in the future. We can see how the space is evolving because I know it's moving extremely quickly. So thank you for joining us. Um, for our sponsors, T-Systems, for making the platform available once again, uh, we really are appreciative. You can, if you've only caught a part of the show, you can download the podcast at the end of the show and really get into some of the insights we've got from industry experts on how the digital world, digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, digital money, all these concepts, how they're affecting life going forward and how we need to engage them. Thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for being with us on Disrupt with Mpumin Klapo. Have Thank a wonderful you. day. This is Disrupt with Mpumin Klapo, powered by Two Systems. This is CliffCentral.com.